0: Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Today on Accent of Women, we look at apostasy, the practice of changing or leaving your religion. Apostasy is a critical demand for the international workers' movement. It goes to the heart of collective consciousness, especially working-class consciousness. It's about breaking the chains of religion that suppress and oppress, particularly women. But it's also an extremely difficult conversation to have in this political climate. Atheism and the rejection of religion entirely arises with scientific and technological development. And these two things are often conflated with Western progress. So then the conversation about apostasy is often appropriated by liberals, right-wing feminists and, quite frankly, racists. And yet apostasy is a critical demand of the international workers' movement. Today on Accent of Women, we attempt to have this conversation. There are progressives right across the world challenging the hold of religion on their lives, their societies and their struggles for liberation. They live in places like Egypt, Iran, Afghanistan, India, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia. These socialists, these progressives in these countries require our solidarity. They require it in exactly the same way that Muslims under attack in Australia, the United States, Canada, New Zealand, Germany, France, need our solidarity in defence of their right to practice their religion. Zadia Hamid is my guest on today's program, and she's from the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain. Quoting directly from their website, We non-believers, atheists and ex-Muslims are establishing or joining the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain to insist that no one be pigeonholed as Muslim with culturally relative rights, nor deemed to be represented by regressive Islamic organisations and Muslim leaders. Those of us who have come forward with our names and photographs represent countless others who are unable or unwilling to do so because of the threats faced by those considered apostates, punishable by death in countries under Islamic law. By doing so, we're breaking the taboo that comes with renouncing Islam, but also taking a stand for reason, universal rights and values, and secularism. Whilst religion, or the lack thereof, is a private affair, the increasing intervention of and devastation caused by religion, and particularly Islam, in contemporary society has necessitated our public renunciation and declaration we represent a majority in Europe and a vast secular and humanist protest movement in countries like Iran. End quote. Today's Accent of Women treads very, very closely on the edges of racist discourse. Being the radio presenter that I am and firmly believing that I am not a racist, I don't think this show crosses that line, but you might disagree. I always welcome your feedback, But this week particularly, I welcome your critical thinking and your harshest criticisms of the politics on this week's show. Because the person I'm interviewing is an ex-Muslim, the dominant discussion of the show in relation to apostasy is in relation to exiting Islam. The Arab world is the global target of imperialism today. The scapegoating of those that come from the Arab world, especially those that are predominantly Muslim, is rife in imperialist countries among the right-wing fascist forces and vigilante groups popping up all over the place. It is correct to interrogate and criticise Islam in the same way we criticise Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhist fundamentalism, such as what we are seeing in relation to the Rohingya crisis in Myanmar. But I admit the focus on Islam and Muslims on today's show does skew the discussion a little bit. So that's the preamble. Now, here's Sadia Hamid. I want equality for everybody
1: uh, and I think class politics is really, really important. Um, I kind of found the... I found socialism and feminism whilst I was at uni because we're not taught about that kind of stuff in uh, in schools. Um, in fact, politics is completely uh, not allowed in schools. Um, and I think that there's... I think that's harmful to us anyway, the fact that we're uninformed about what we're, we're supposed to be voting on. I think that's a serious um, attack on on the general population.
0: One of the reasons that you're in Australia at the moment is on a speaking tour to mm-hmm. talk about the treatment of women and others under Islam. It's a very controversial topic, mm-hmm. it's very hard for the left to recognise this as a left-wing conversation. And in fact, this conversation in and of itself has right and left-wing elements. Mm. You're saying that the way that you speak about the issue, the persecution of those under Islam that don't necessarily agree with the tenets of Islam, you're saying that your criticism of that is from a left-wing point of view Mm -hmm. and from a rights point of view. People should be entitled to believe in whatever they want and live their lives the way that they want. Mm -hmm. So to begin with, why don't you tell me a little bit about those experiences and the the kinds of things that you're talking about while you're here in Australia. Then I also want to look at the criticisms you've received for saying those things.
1: Sure. I want to separate the notion of uh, criticising ideas and criticising individuals. Um, There are some harmful elements uh, in Islam, and I, as an ex-Muslim, am viewed as an outsider, whereas we do have individuals, Muslim individuals, that are part of our movement, that support our movement, that say, yes, there are problems within Islam, and they're fighting from the inside. But they are also treated as apostates for not in- agreeing with every single element of Islam. Uh, and uh, I was given a fantastic um, metaphor for it by my partner who said, you know, we've made huge gains in terms of, um, you know, the harms that smoking has on on the person, uh, the health um, detriments of smoking but that doesn't mean that we're we're saying that all smokers are bad and in the same way we want to talk about some of the some of the harmful elements of islam but without criticizing muslims we don't want to vilify muslims most of our family members the people we've grown up with are still practicing muslims we have no interest in galvanizing hate against those individuals but we do want to talk about the fact that there are some V- very violent oppressive misogynistic homophobic ideas within islam
0: that that metaphor breaks down a little bit for me for a few reasons I mean and I know metaphors are just symbols of what we're trying to say so i don't want to get stuck in the um, minutiae of that metaphor but you know cigarettes Are a product that was created by a company whose job it was to make money off the sale of these products. So there were a bunch of deceptions in the sale and marketing of that product, and then massive, massive litigation to Mm. prevent this product coming off the market. Religion serves a different purpose in society. Still, there is an analysis under capitalism of the role of religion. I know you're focused on Islam because you are a former Muslim yourself Mm -hmm. and I am a former Coptic. So Mm -hmm. the Coptic tradition in Egypt is very, very oppressive, misogynistic Mm -hmm. and so on. And so I have, I think we could probably come up with identical criticisms of the Coptic tradition, as well as Islam in relation to its treatment of women. Female genital mutilation is rife in the Coptic tradition as much as it is in the Muslim tradition.
1: And it's the same in Kenya, for example. Kenya has a a Christian population and a Muslim population. Both populations practice FGM. The reason the Council of Ex-Muslims focuses on Islam, uh, and we don't focus entirely on Islam, I do have to say that, we focus more on it because we are from that background um, and we face more of a challenge. Criticizing Christianity, although we, yes, we do do it, it seems easier. Uh, the criticism of Islam has been conflated with racist attacks on, uh, on Muslims. And I've already said we have no interest in, in, in racism. I mean, although I sound like a Westerner, I just I look like another brown girl. You know, nobody knows until I open my mouth, until I say anything. Nobody knows who I am. So I, I experience racism. And most of our members experience racism. We oppose racism, xenophobia, far right politics, absolutely. Um, but we also want to talk about the oppression that we faced and are still facing. You know, um, there are apostates being murdered still to this day. Countless apostates and blasphemers that just for uh, for speaking out or even having challenged something, they're still Muslim, they're still religious, uh, for having asked a question or inquired about something are accused of blasphemy and then punished as such.
0: I want to come at this from a different perspective, though. You... You're self-identified as a socialist and a feminist. Mm -hmm. In socialism, in Marxism, there is an analysis of the role of religion in the state for workers. Mm -hmm. You know, the famous line from Marx that religion is the opiate of the masses. That, That quote, what Marx actually says when he's talking about that is this, religious distress is at the same time the expression of real distress and the protest against real distress. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, just as it is the spirit of a spiritless situation. It is the opium of the people. The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is required for their real happiness. The demand to give up the illusion about its condition is the demand to give up a condition which needs illusions. So if you look at that quote in its context and we understand the role that religion is playing in the world, we can see that actually as the pressure increases, as economic pressure, as violent pressure, as imperialist, that the counter-imperialist forces are imposing on people, religion rises as a, a crutch for people. So if you look at the war that the US is waging against the Middle East over oil, so an economic war. And then we see the only place the the expression of real distress and the protest against real distress expressed as this holding on to Islam, and then you see Islam become a political force in opposition to it. Surely that is a way to understand. What is happening in the, the, the rise of Islam with its fundamentalism, with its violence, with its need to control the, the, the people, the, the Muslims, in order to hold them to this position as a way to fight against imperialism?
1: I view religion as an unhealthy crutch. You know, it, I think it's an easy uh, avenue to take when that's so readily accessible. Religion is everywhere. People talk about it all the time. Politics isn't. Were you taught about politics in school? I don't know if it's the same here, but for me, at school, I wasn't taught politics. I learned politics as an adult. Uh, So I didn't know that there were other avenues that I could take to challenge the oppressions that I was seeing of workers, of women, of the most vulnerable in our society, the disabled, the poor um, so when I learned politics, I, I could happily leave religion behind because I didn't need that crutch that actually didn't do anything. Prayer's not going to do anything. How often have, have your prayers been answered, you know? But politics, get into politics and challenge those that are in power, that are abusing us, that are breaking us and giving us unhealthy ways of, of managing the abuses that we're experiencing, the the stark inequality that exists within our society, prayer isn't going to do anything. You've got to challenge those in power.
0: See, I agree with you. (laughs) Here is the thing, I agree and I am anti-religion and I, I am an activist that is currently involved in campaigns against Islamophobia against the rise of the far right. I'm an anti-fascist organiser. I've given my life to these kinds of campaigns and disputes and I've lost arguments in this particular area. I've argued for the right to be religious simultaneously with the right to not be religious. Mm -hmm. When the same-sex marriage debate was at its height at the peak of it, I pushed for the arguments of the right to get married and the right not to get married mm. because for me those things, the corollary must also be something that we fight for given what those institutions represent. And we do, we do. We, are,
1: we always stand for the right for anybody to believe and disbelieve but I think that the uh, one is being pushed more so than the other. That's where the
0: problem lies. I guess the... I guess it almost becomes a question of strategy and tactics. So I I gave you that quote from Marx in its context. You know, people reduce that quote to, religion is the opium of the masses, but in its context you can actually see the um, the detail and the nuance that he is trying to get across with this. Mm-hmm. If religion is the expression of something else, surely the target of the ac- of the activism must be this something else for which religion is the expression rather than going for religion directly. So fighting against war, fighting against that oppression. And we do all of that.
1: We absolutely do all of that. We we understand that we have to deal with the symptoms of the problem, not just the problem, and we do, we do do all of that.
0: And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with Sadia Hamid from the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain. Sadia is in Australia on a speaking tour, talking about the importance of supporting Muslims that are seeking to exit their religion or change their religion. I've dominated this conversation quite a bit with all of my criticisms and um, feedback. What I do want to get, though, is actually some of the points that you wanted to get across um, in your speaking tour here. I think the key message is, you know, uh,
1: that criticising the beliefs doesn't. Uh, It shouldn't be about the believers, and it isn't about attacking the believers. Uh, We we have this with Christianity. We can talk about some of the ludicrous ideas within Christianity. The the rule of thumb, you know, that's a laughable rule now. However, when we talk about passage four three four in the Quran, where you can beat your wife lightly, I was uh, debating um, on the drum. Uh, a couple of days ago and exactly that I was talking about passage 434 and the presenter went oh but it says lightly why should we why should you be able to beat an individual at all um, and this defensiveness we're not attacking you as individuals we are attacking the ideas that you have
0: what kind of work is the council of ex muslims of britain engaged in in a day to day level
1: annually we support about 800 Ex-Muslims a year. 50% of the ex-Muslims we support are from the international community, so they could be getting t- getting in touch with us from anywhere in the world uh, with various issues, and they might ask for support, advice, any any kind of um, information. Uh, 25% of our, the cases that we support are um, ex-Muslims that have gone to uh, a safe country and are asking for information or advice around refugee or asylum seeker, um uh, situations, and then the re- remaining 25% are, are UK-based or, or like, um, sort of in a safe country where they're not experiencing um, direct threat from the state.
0: If a woman in Pakistan made contact with you who was seeking to uh, exit Islam, what mm-hmm. what would the response of your organisation be?
1: We first ask them if they were safe. That would be the primary concern. Uh, I guess we use a lot of the same terminology as the LGBT movement. So there's a lot of closeted ex-Muslims because it's just not safe for them to come out. So if they haven't already come out, we suggest that first they assess the risk um, because the last thing we want is any harm to be done to them. If it's safe for them to come out, then yes, indeed, do come out. But they have to... uh, we, We talk about risk management, how we assess... Uh, the impact that they could experience, uh, we ask them if they are, um, if any, if anybody does know and if they trust the people that do know and ha- what they want to happen next. We we ask them, we can't tell them what they should be doing but we ask them what they want next and if that is leaving the country then we give them a, uh, information and support about seeking asylum in other countries.
0: And do you help with those asylum applications?
1: So we don't help with asylum applications. We don't have the capacity to do that. We do write supporting letters for people that do need them. Um, And we also um, advise on all the the body of evidence that they've got to collect. And that would include any threats or uh, or violence that they have received. Um, But within that, there are... The country's penal code around blasphemy and apostasy is key as well, and for some people who aren't able to go to, say, a Western country that has uh, that doesn't have Islamic, uh, that isn't a Sharia-based legal system, um, we advise, in the first instance, going to perhaps another Islamic country that might be easier to get to, where they don't have fam- family and friends, where they can almost be somebody else for a short while in between. Uh, we also campaign around uh, issues of um, secularism. We want to see religion and the state uh, as two separate entities. Um, we campaign for a secular uh, education
0: system, a secular legal system. And these campaigns for secularism, who are they targeted at? Uh, we we target our politicians. So so are so the the campaign for secularism is actually against, effectively, a Christian-dominated United Kingdom.
1: We have parallel legal systems. We have faith-based schools. Um, And what that says to us is that, uh, and that does feel racist, you know, that you coloured folk can go and have your own separate schools and we'll have our normal state schools for us. Um, And that the legal system was designed for our white kids. You guys have your own legal systems, so it's undermining the the, the existing state-based systems. But it's also um, creating a, a kind of very insular communities. So we are targeting, or uh, we're fighting on several fronts. Really,
0: when people come to you who are seeking to exit Islam as an institution, so separating themselves from Islam. Mm-hmm. What is their experience? What are you dealing with? Why is that a difficult thing to do, particularly in the UK if they've made it that far? So in terms of uh, Islam, what the Quran
1: says uh, and what the what various Hadiths say is that you should be executed for blasphemy or apostasy, so leaving Islam. Apostasy is a posh word for leaving religion, not just Islam. Um so, internationally, uh, we, there's obvious risks, especially in countries that have um, Sharia based legal systems. Uh, in Britain, we've had various honour killings because parents have different ideas to their children and they feel like they can't control them. Um, they face honour crimes, so honour based violence, uh, and they face forced marriages. Um, and a lot of ex-Muslims face being disowned by their family, which comes with various mental health issues. You start grieving the loss of your family whilst you're alive and whilst they're still alive.
0: I actually do know that, I, um, but not from a Muslim point of view. When I was 19, I came out as a lesbian and was kicked out of my home, um, and my godbrother. Was excommunicated and his marriage was annulled. I mean that that, that was necessary. He was married to a woman, mm. um, but these things. Then I mean we've we've covered this, but I do want to emphasise it. It's not Muslim specific. You know the the hold that religion has on people is religion that has the hold, not Islam particularly. What a I wonder if you and the group has considered expanding the religious base of that um, and we
1: do um, our movements we've got two movements that run alongside each other. one is the Council of ex-Muslims of Britain and one is called One Law for All, which challenges any faith-based schools, any faith based legal systems, particularly that disadvantage some of the most vulnerable members of their society. I mean, in Britain, not only have we got Sharia, they call themselves Sharia councils, but the word Sharia means Islamic law. uh, And they operate like courts, they pass judgments like courts. And the first one came about in 1982. Not only that, we have Beth Dins. Uh, I've worked with clients that have um, experienced uh, discrimination in Jehovah's Witness. They have their own councils. And uh, there was, uh, I mean, I, I won't go into the details of the cases. I guess that's unfair. But um, certainly it's always women and the most vulnerable in those societies that are disadvantaged in those in those systems so we we do fight on several fronts it's not just a case of we're constantly attacking islam we do attack any religious institution that
0: that abuses the hard won human rights saria hamid from the council of ex muslims of britain Sadia is in Australia on a speaking tour, talking about the importance of supporting Muslims that are seeking to exit their religion or change their religion. Today's topic of apostasy was a difficult one for me as a lifelong anti-racism activist and campaigner. And apostasy is a really important issue for me and my life, having left the Coptic faith in pursuit of socialism. If you have a criticism or critique of this week's Accent of Women, I really do invite your feedback. Write to me at accentofwomen at gmail.com. Who knows, I might even organise some public meetings in my hometown of Melbourne, Victoria, where these issues get discussed more fully. Don't worry, if it does come to that, I will definitely record the discussion and broadcast them here on Accent of Women. But that is all we've got time for on today's program. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.